welcome to our podcast. I'm Rachel Day, I'm the founder of Flying School. We're a not-for-profit and our aim is to capture the imagination of children to help them learn how to fly, develop their confidence and learn how to help each other fly. On these podcasts, I'll be interviewing a range of different people, asking them to share their stories on what helped them fly and what stopped them so that we can all figure out how to do it ourselves and get some tips and ideas on how we can help our children fly. Really hope you enjoy it. Welcome everybody. I would love to introduce today's guest, Carol Fuchs. Now I haven't known Carol for long, but every time we chat, time flies. And in fact, we were chatting just before we started recording this and decided we better press record. So to begin this podcast, I want to share with you just a little of Carol's story, just so that you can get to know her a little before we chat to her. So Carol was born in 1937, just before the Second World War. And after the war, at the age of seven and a half, she went to boarding school. Carol left school with minimal academic requirements, but a number of friends who have remained important in her life. She went on to Secretarial College and then worked in London, sharing a flat with other girls. It was then that she met her husband, Harry Fuchs. Now, when Harry was just eight, he and his family overcame extreme difficulties to make it to England from their home in Czechoslovakia during the Second World War, arriving with no worldly possessions and no ability to speak any English. Carol fell in love with Harry, and it was possibly at this time that she really learned to fly, although the foundations had been laid really well by her parents. They went on to have three children, Joyon, Giles and Nikki. When they inherited a dilapidated old building, Harry announced to Carol that she would need to borrow money and create a business out of it so they could restore their asset. This in fact was an invitation to fly and Carol didn't question it. She went on to create an extremely successful business, renting flexible office space. When she retired at the age of 60, she passed this on to her children. Sadly, her eldest son, Joyon, had died from an epileptic fit at the age of 20. However, her other two children, Giles and Nikki, have taken the business from strength to strength. And thanks to their family approach, it really is flying. So when most people would be ready to enjoy the rest that retirement offers, Carol decided to go to university and she completed a degree in psychology not something she would have ever dreamed of doing before she realized she could fly. Now in her eighties, Carol has three grandchildren and continues to inspire and support her friends and family. I feel very lucky to have met her. She hardly knows me, but her encouragement and belief in my work is already helping me fly. Carol is warm, passionate and insightful. I'm so grateful that she's kindly agreed to record this podcast with me so that we can all learn from her flying spirit. So thank you so much, Carol. It's a brave thing to say yes to doing a podcast. And I really appreciate how willing you are to accept a challenge 
Is there anything else that you wished I'd have shared as part of your story before we begin? Is there anything I missed? I think you you picked out all the main relevant ideas and happenings. I think there are only extensions to that that I, I can add. One of the things that you said to me when, when we were talking <clears throat> about this podcast was, well, if I'm challenged, I tend not to change my mind. And I think this might be one of the things that's probably helped you fly over the years. Do you agree? <laughs> I think it, it sounds very aggressive, but in fact, it comes from fear, I think. And certainly when I think of it now, it comes from my father. He always said, never say no to a challenge, accept a challenge. If you're at a meeting, you must stand up and say something relevant just to show that you can. And I think that that's what I'm talking about. And so if I have been afraid of something, like I, I've always hated going under the water. As soon as that pressure comes over the top, I'm out. But with the grandchildren, and we were very lucky, we, we used to hire a French house in the summer with a swimming pool. And one year I decided that I had to persuade them to improve their swimming. So I announced that I was going to swim, not a length, but a width underwater by the end of the week. Now, to somebody who can do that, that would sound like nothing. But to me, <laughs> it, it was overcoming one of my fears, a challenge, and I had committed in front of my grandchildren. And so I stuck at it and I did it. That's the kind of challenge that I, I am now stuck with if somebody gives me. <laughs> Brilliant, Carol. I bet I imagine over the years people have given you a number of challenges, knowing that you'll you'll say yes and you'll figure it out and do it. Hence, actually, what what Harry did all those years ago. Yes, indeed. People having having belief in you and not showing any doubt is so important. It's certainly what enabled me to fly. I had had all the groundwork, but it wasn't until somebody said, my goodness, we need this. I can't do it, you do it. And I hadn't, I didn't appreciate at the time the importance of this, this happening. And it was some years later and I looked back at what accepting that challenge had meant. I knew nothing really about <laughs> anything. And Harriet said I needed to make a plan. Well, I knew about the business that I was going to start, which was a business centers, but there weren't any in England. So I knew I would have to go to America where they had started to investigate what was involved. So having never traveled on my own, I get in a plane, go to America. And I come back and I start making a plan. I've got the building, but I've got to get money. So I'm sure I got help with Harry for the budgets and things. So I go to the bank manager 
and ask him for money. And the only question he asks me is, what kind of car are you going to buy? And I said, I'm not going to buy a car. I'm starting a business. Can I have the money? Yes, yes, of course you can have the money. <laughs> and I think the interesting thing is because that faith in me was there and I obviously had learnt much more than I realised that I just get, got on and did. Yeah. And it was in looking backwards that I thought, how exciting is that? And then you come along and you, you have this fantastic charity called Flying and it is that feeling when you realize what you have done. My goodness, I was up there, you know, I, I could do something else. I, could, I have ability, I've succeeded. And it's what you have honed in on is that if you can allow a child, not allow, assist a child, gives the child confidence to do something, to fulfill an ambition. He's done it and he knows he's done it. And he can look back on it and say, well, I've now got to do this. And he goes for it. It's just so huge, isn't it? I mean, it actually just listening to you, Carol, it reminds me of something that you said just about your dad right at the beginning, which is he said that, make sure you say something in a room make sure they hear what you've got to say. Mm. So even that is this belief in you've got something to contribute here, no matter what, who you are, what your age is. Um, I imagine in your day, you'll have had a lot of the fact that you were a woman, not a man in a, in a business world as well. Mm. Yes, I, I think broadening it slightly is that one of the things that disappoints me in our educational system is that what we really want is a successful society. Mm. And in a successful society, you just don't need intellectuals. Actually, you can do with quite a few, <laughs> just a few intellectuals. You need the skills of everybody in that society, be they artistic, um, artisan, everything. And if schooling, address those more directly. Those children who weren't in, aren't intellectual, and let's face it, most aren't, would gain self-esteem more readily. Mm. Because if you have a, a year of children in a class and you have the clever table, the next clever table and the bottom table, children are not stupid. They know where they are in the hierarchy as soon as they go in. And that's wrong because that stops ambition, the thought that you can. I'm here because I can't. Yeah. And I think that's a tragedy. That's so true. I'm, I'm just writing that down. So is there anything else from your early years that really helped you fly? Um, did your, I know you went to boarding school, that must have been a huge challenge. Did that help you fly or did that stop you yes. flying? No. I mean, people feel very strongly about boarding school. Mm. Um, 
And I can emphasize with that. And I have friends that were damaged by being sent away. But if you talk to them now, they have the view that they were sent away because they weren't valued. They weren't so important. The parents were actually quite pleased to get rid of them. Mm. Now, I think it is quite different if you have parents who, for whatever reason, decide that it's better for you for a period of time to be away than, than where you are. That is quite different. And that was my situation. There was no doubt in my mind that I was loved. Um, probably overloved by my dear mother, but my father balanced that out. Um, so it would never ever occur to me that if I put the red flag up, help, the, the white horse would come over the mountain and, and save me. So I think before you can even start flying, you have to have experienced true love so that you feel safe, that you know that if you get into trouble, those people will be there for you, they won't judge you, and they will help you get up and walk again. And that was my case. So when it was decided that it would be good for me to be away, I went away. <laughs> trusting that they had chosen the right thing and that was right I can't say it was easy but it wasn't horrible um, and because I'd grown up in the war in a very isolated environment because of what my father did um, I had become accustomed to my own company and to a certain extent making my own decisions so it was like learning about life. There was a girl who I liked at the look of, thought, oh, I could be her friend. She obviously didn't fancy being my friend. So I thought, next question, well, what can I do about that? You know, it wasn't a full stop. Um, and so I learned so much about life at school. Mm. But it was because I, I was comfortable with had I wanted help, it would be forthcoming. Absolutely and, spot on. And it was fascinating because I didn't project myself, obviously. I wasn't that kind of person, hadn't had that experience. But there was a time when we had a girl come and she came from a very religious background. And I happened to be in her dormitory and I was only then about 10. And I mean, it's very sweet really when you think of it because to her, her religion was the most important thing. She wanted to share it with everybody else in the dormitory. So she started going around at night and sitting on one person's bed and trying to save them. But her saving was quite emotional and the child would end up sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. So I observed this and I thought, that's not right. I'm not having that, that girl's unhappy. And again, without thinking the next day, I went up to this 
poor girl and said, you're not doing that again. You are not to upset that person. Now, where did that come from? That was a kind of flying, wasn't it? It was realizing that one had responsibilities and that they were greater than your fear of getting into trouble or, or any of those things. So for me, boarding school was a very good learning ground. And just, I mean, that's an example of you using your own authority, having this sense of belief in yourself, which meant actually I can stand up for others. You know, I, yes. I, I'm able to do that. Yes. Um, and I, I think there's a couple of things, I think just picking up from your childhood there, Carol, I wanted just to highlight really, which one is um, I became accustomed to with my own company is what you said. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that sense of I'm, I'm comfortable with myself. I don't have to be with other people or be with others all the time. And maybe that then helped me learn to fly. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think so. Um, and I think coming to the conclusion that you don't have to um, behave in an outward fashion. You don't have to make yourself felt to be a member of the society. Mm. You can do it from the back chair. Mm. You don't have to be out front all the time. Um, and I think that's something else that I learned there. I found that I never offered myself to a committee or what have you, because I just wouldn't do that. I would be a member, but wouldn't push myself. But constantly through my life, like Harry, people have put, picked me up and put me in that situation. And then I'm very happy. And I think this is tied up with being um, happy, in, not happy necessarily, content um, with what you are under your skin. Mm. And, and content is, is, is the right word. I don't think you think of yourself too much or too little. You're just there and you're willing to be part of life and society. And that's the bottom line because when, when that feeling is present, everyone else feels it and hence why they, they want to be in your company and they want you, you know, they think of you to do things and they invite you to fly in different ways because they sense that, that sort of contentedness that you have and that ability to, to be with, with yourself, really. You're being very generous. I'm not sure. <laughs> and I just have to say another thing, which I absolutely love about you, Carol, which is you said, you said to yourself, there aren't full stops. So when you've met a challenge, like a girl who didn't want to be friends with you, uh, you just sort of said to yourself, what can I do about that? You didn't just sort of accept it necessarily. You questioned it. And I, and I think that's another skill that, that helps us fly. Well, it was a skill again, you see, and this is where, as you know, my key interest is, is in the young children because if young children can be given a platform from which to develop, having been given certain 
what psychologists perceive as essential tools to live life. Um, you can work a lot of it out yourself without getting overly stressed or worried about the whole thing. Um, and that is important. And we've discussed so often that we think the key is self-esteem. Mm. That, that I think is where the whole thing starts. And it is said that when a baby is, is born, instinctively, if it bonds with its mother, it learns self-esteem mm. instinctively, because if it hurts, the mother comes up, this thing arrives, which it doesn't know it's a face, but it's a smiley face, and it, it makes it feel better. Mm. And that instinctively gives it this feeling, well, I've got, I'm looked after, I'm safe. Mm. And then I think when you've got that, then you can, you can start teaching it the other tools. Um, and, I, and I have doubt at this time whether sufficient children are being given the tools to go through life. Life is actually very difficult and you're not going to get through it. Nobody is going to get through it easily. And I think if you're not taught self-esteem, resilience, and to fail. Mm -hmm. I think to learn to fail and not to think it's the end of the world is one of the most important things. Because if you have that, I'm a failure, you are never going to fly. And, and I, all these things, I believe, need to be taught in the early years. And I will just tell the story because it is, I think, so apposite. And this is the failing bit. Um, I had this granddaughter, they both dance. Little girls always dance. And they were quite good. They got awards. And one day, ten, the 10 year old was in a competition. So I went with the father and she danced beautifully, but she didn't get any awards. So after a while she came back down and her father said, darling, I just loved watching you dance. It, you're so elegant. It was, gave me such pleasure. And the next second he said, who do you think was the best dancer there today? And uh -uh, me? No, darling, you weren't the best dancer there today, but you could be. And anyway, I thought you were beautiful. You gave me such pleasure. Now, that I think must be a classic lesson in failure. And that failure just means that you didn't do that well. Next time you can do it better. It's so true, isn't it? And, I, and so many of us feel like, you know, we should just um, say to them, yes, you were the best. I'm sorry you didn't get an award. You know, how often is it? It's easier to say that as a parent, isn't it? It's easy to say that as a parent. Yes. Or to say some parents may well say the other. No, you didn't. You haven't practiced hard. I mean, yes, true. So that, I guess what I love about that story is it's such it's such a classic story that many of us will have in a in our parenting journey 
and and it's a mixed story isn't it of, mm -hmm. of love and appreciation for the qualities and the work that's gone in mm -hmm. also this sense of possibility where you could be and I, I, that's the bit i love it's it's not saying you never will be therefore give it up <laughs> or, or you know there's always going to be people better than you it's saying actually you could be if that's what you wanted but it gives them that drive um to keep going that, that is growing the child's ambition isn't it it's opening up the possibilities um because i think a lot of children and you know this more than anybody you come across children in their early teens um where nobody has given them any ambition or not enough ambition or, or thought about how to giving it to them um, and i think that's another road that has to be trod it's huge isn't it because at the end of the day our biggest teachers are our role models it's not the things that we tell children it's the way we are around mm -hmm. And what we do isn't it and mm -hmm. if we haven't had brilliant role models then it's hard to know what's possible for us i guess yes yes and you get that too when you quite frequently you hear of people who have had a teacher which was who was their motivator mm. that they motivated they were so this that or something else and it opens up the whole casket of, of, of possibilities definitely and just before we move on carol i just wanted to just reiterate the thing that you said which is one of the most important things that helps you fly is realizing it's okay to fail and you know you told that beautiful story of your granddaughter i wondered how did you learn to fail it sounds a bit strange but i've been thinking about this and I think it's because of the situation, the war and everything else, that life was going to be difficult. Let's say rather like the pandemic mm. um, and that I was isolated and, and all these things. And so not a lot was expected of me. I mean, yes, fine, I had to behave. Um, they were delighted if I did something, but when I first went to little school, um, I, I wasn't checked up on. I mean, let's see how you're reading, this kind of thing. I, nothing was expected of me. So probably I only tried things at that stage, which I was going to succeed at. <laughs> You know, like, like you mentioned, where I said that I got the minimum requirements. Mm. So I didn't, I didn't push myself. I probably would have liked to have been able to do better. But I'm not sure that I failed dramatically at that point. Later on in my life, I have failed. But then I had more experience. So... I'd learnt by them that everybody fails. Yeah, what it's making me think, though, is when by not being checked up on, uh, and I'm just wondering out loud whether this might be the same for me. I was the third daughter, so um, in a busy family, I probably 
wasn't checked as much, you know, what have you got in this particular exam or what have you done in this particular thing? And I'm just, I'm thinking out loud that that possibly gave me more freedom to fail. Yes. Because I didn't have to report the failure. <laughs> and uh, maybe there is something in that. I, maybe I'll push myself a bit more because if I fail it, no one's going to know or realise anyway. Yes. You're making your own decisions and your own speed of your journey. Mm. Mm. So it could be if you're a late developer, which I believe I was, that's actually quite a healthy thing. Yeah. Because you don't start having the ambition until much later. Mm. So that's the thought I haven't had before. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. And I, I thank you because I think I've not I've not thought about it in that way before. This I think, you know, we want to give our children lots of attention. And we want to be really interested in everything they're doing. And yeah, I'm, again, this is a new thought for me, but I'm just wondering if we get that out of balance, we become too interested or too attentive. Do we give them enough freedom to just figure it out and make mistakes yeah. and without yeah. anything to be reported? Mm. Well, mistakes are learning, aren't they? Totally, totally. Well, if you never made any kind of mistake, people wouldn't no. ever and the hardest thing about being a parent is knowing that mistakes are good, but needing to allow your children to make them is another thing, isn't it? It's <laughs> to watch them do yes. I'm going to ask you about your children. <laughs> How have you helped them fly? What thoughts have you got? <laughs> I think that I had a very good example from my upbringing. So hopefully... Mm -hmm did some of the right things. I don't think any parent can ever parent 100% correctly or right. It's not possible. But I think if you have love and you have time, then that's a good start. And Harry, my husband, was a brilliant anchor always. And he, he had a very a great intellectual brain. So we benefited as a family from, from that. And one of the things he said very early on, well, one or two things, he said to me when I had my first child, which I thought was quite hard, he said, by the way, you should know that I'm not setting out to be a friend of my child. I'm setting out to prepare it for for its life. Mm. Now, I think that's also a very good basis. And then later on, he, he came up with a motto for the family. Mm. And the motto was confer and triumph. Mm. Now, I think this came from his continental background. Continentals debate and talk and debate continuously. Whereas, I don't know about your family, but typically there, if there was a problem, there would be a discussion and then my father would make the decision. <laughs> <laughs> but with Harry and his father, the fa his father would stay with us most weekends and he was absolutely gorgeous man. And they would pick a subject on the Friday evening 
and they would be going at it this way. And then the next morning they'd set off again, same subject. And they could talk about the same subject for the whole weekend. And I think that's interesting to share, as you and I have been able to do, we, we, have, we have shared details. And if you're debating a subject that length of time, you're going to share all the details that there are to be had. And you will adapt how you then feel about that subject doesn't have to be a big change it can be little changes nuances mm. and we don't do that enough and our society at the moment doesn't really do it at all everybody has to get to a point where they they believe they they've reached the correct answer exactly and then you don't share anything because yeah. you're too protected I mean, it reminds me of a huge um, lesson I've learned around flying, which is that when we are listening from a place of being right, we can't learn to fly. <laughs> no. no, absolutely. And this, what we don't, what I think I'm hearing you say um, that you learned from Harry was that actually that the process of debating something allows you to get to a much better answer. Yes. And if you haven't gone through the process, then the answer is maybe not as not as good. But once we get to an answer, we seem to, and I'm just speaking of, as humans, I think we just seem to decide to defend the answer we've got to <laughs> at all costs. Yes. We're not very good at saying I got that wrong. We just decide we, I need to defend it, whatever it was. I, I think that's one of the biggest, biggest problems. Mm -hmm. um, because nobody's 100% right. No. I mean, over the pandemic, I mean, who would be in authority anywhere? It's an unknown situation. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to know 100% what the right thing is, the wrong thing is. Maybe that would have been better or something else would have been this, that, the other. Um, you, you, nobody can be 100% right. And to share your fears and everything else, I think is a much better way. I think this idea, as I mentioned to you before, that the less you think of yourself in every aspect, the happier you will be. If you think of yourself, you're protecting yourself, um, all the thoughts or if there are problems, it's self first. It's only going to get worse. If you're thinking of other people and other people's problems and how you can improve this or whatever, um, the happier you are. A lot of people that I've come across that are depressed, um, they, they start thinking emotionally, well, there's something wrong with me. The, your emotional system will suggest to you then that perhaps you are ill. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling like this, then there must be something seriously wrong. So you, you come up. I had a friend the other day come to me saying, I'm in such a bad place. 
it's this list of things. I think I could have a heart attack. I could think I could have this and that and something else. But okay, we're old, so we're not 100% fit. But a lot of those things were the brain trying to find an answer to why she felt like that. Mm. And so we were able to pick out one or two things which we could begin to attack. And she's getting through the list and she's feeling better about herself. Mm. But it, I think it's one of the most unhealthy things to think about yourself in that emotional way. It's a brilliant tip, isn't it? Actually. I think it's almost well, that's the Chinese proverb. The Chinese proverb, yeah. It's that it's almost like um a great distraction. You know, if, if you think about when toddlers are, are having a tantrum and uh, one of our keys as a parent is to distract them because they've yeah. just suddenly got into their own their own heads potentially. And maybe that's a great distraction for us when we find ourselves going round in circles. Maybe it is actually, I'm thinking too much about myself. What if I thought about others? What, what would it be? Yeah. Yes. And then if you do have a problem, you would probably handle it better. Mm. Carol, I just, I'm just going to um, say again, the things that you, your sort of top tips for parenting. And, and, and this is what I heard you say. So um, if you have love and time, that's a good start. Mm -hmm. And then um, Harry's um, way of doing things, which was confer and triumph. And, and I think those are two brilliant tips for us as parents and as teachers as well. So mm -hmm. is there anything else just in terms of you being a parent that you wanted to add there that I, we haven't touched on? Not really. What I do feel is that even if you haven't been fortunate in getting a, a strong enough platform, you can learn to fly at any time in your life if somebody will just give you that confidence, mm. that love and encouragement. It's, it seems to be more satisfactory if it happens early in life because you have more life to practice. But you're doing your bit. And I think that is fantastic because really you picked it up. Um, society hasn't really accepted the concept yet. Mm. They, they even closed down Shorestar which was going in that right direction. Mm. Um, and then you can go on to adulthood. And where I'm getting to is that in, even in business, there are still opportunities. Mm. And there are companies who have picked this up, a large group of companies, all family-based, pursue all the things that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. And my children who now run the business, they have taken on the concept of the family moving itself into a business. 
And it is so exciting to watch the employees, particularly during lockdown and being around sometimes when they had Zooms with everybody. Mm. And the enthusiasm, the obvious pride in what they were doing and the company. And some of the reasons for this is that, again, <laughs> every member of staff is given self-esteem. Mm. They are respected for what they can do. If they say, I'd like to learn or, or um, increase my knowledge, they will be assisted. If they're given a job to do and responsibility, which they are, responsibility is delegated willingly. If they fail, they will be helped to succeed the next time. And just a little story, because I think this is a stumbling block for <laughs> for capitalism, probably. Um, they, they started to uh, work their company by having investors so that they, the investor could buy this big building, which is important, mm -hmm. and they could put the business in that. So they became partners. So obviously that can be a bit tricky sometimes. Giles had decided he wanted to give the managers and their wives um, private health care. So one of the investors called him in, got the, the financial report out, pointed at the profit line, said, what's this? Giles said, that's the profits, very good, isn't it? Yes, you want to spend the profit. Giles said, yes. So there wasn't a satisfactory solution at that meeting. But subsequently, Giles thought this is ridiculous. So the next time they went to, to have this discussion, Giles said, why did you choose us to invest in? And the guy said, well, because you were the most successful. And Giles said, yeah. Why do you think we were the most successful? And that is key. If you have an association, the happier people are within that, the better it will be, whatever it is. Exactly. And, and I love what you're saying, which is ideally we'll all have this amazing platform from when we're born. Um, but if we don't, because of circumstance, there are lots of different opportunities. Um, mm. And in fact, we'll all, we can learn to fly at any age. Yes, absolutely. And we can help others learn to fly at any age as well. I think sometimes we do write people off or we write ourselves off, don't we? Yes. It is more difficult to get off the ground when you're my age. But um... <laughs> Right, so tell me more about that, Carol. <laughs> how, how could people help you fly now at your age? They could give me more energy. Right. <laughs> um, I think... I think it is quite difficult if I speak to my friends. Um, and incidentally, I think that's something else that needs to be done more regularly. Talk to your peers. Mm -hmm. if, if, uh, if I'm talking to my peers, I can, so long as I don't overdo it, say, oh, that happened to me the other day. I was a bit worried. And somebody else say, oh yeah, I've had that. 
and so again you feel normal <laughs> yeah. um, and I think a lot of people are too nervous to, to, to share things that they feel perhaps they shouldn't feel or whatever not that I think you should go on and on and on about it <laughs> but in general mm. and then everybody can sit back and feel happier I I do feel it's frustrating. In many ways, all that I've done, I feel I've been so lucky and I can look back and feel good about. But I am very, very enthused about flying. And you're picking up the kind of educational bit I would like to be younger again, having done everything I've done already, <laughs> but to pick the child, the small child, bit up. I think, I'm not sure that society understands the importance of those years. Yes, we all understand that we have to care for our children. Do we understand that we have to teach them we have to teach or give them the tools with which to go through life that's more difficult and we also have to have learnt the tools and I think that with our communities disintegrating over the last 50 100 years like extended families communities um, church all these things one way or the other, a lot of the tools would have been taught somewhere. Yes. Whereas now families are so isolated mm. um, and probably haven't picked up the, some of the tools from, from their families. And they're not always being passed down. Not out of laziness or anything else, but just not appreciating that that if one's child is given these tools, its chances of success and a happy and a happy life mm. are increased. And I and I I think everybody deserves to have a happy life. They do. And I think that um, you know we no matter what age we are and this you know, we, there is a possibility for us to contribute to that and continue to contribute, isn't there? Sure. Yeah. Well, you see, I, through our conversations and things, I'm very satisfied because I feel that I'm up to time with what's going on. Mm. And perhaps occasionally, because of the experience and age, you pick up something that perhaps you haven't come across. So maybe just keeping talking is, <laughs> is the worthwhile thing to do, so long as you don't do too much of it. <laughs> Carol, I, I have absolutely loved our conversation. Um, I'm just gonna check, is there anything else that you wanted to share at this point um, that I haven't asked you that you're thinking, I wish you'd asked me about such and such so I could have shared it? No. 
I, I think I would have put my hand up. Oh, thank you, Carol. <laughs> so one of the things that um, I, I've been asking people in this series is, is to share something, whether it be a book or a poem or a passage, that really helps them feel grounded and, and ready to fly. Um, and so I'd love to, to ask you, Carol, what that might be for you. You've already shared so much, actually. I've, I've been scribbling away, but is, what would, might that be for you? Well, this gave me real trouble because I, nothing came to mind. Um, so I, I have got something and I would apologize to any poets listening because I don't put myself out as a poet. But as an aside, I think the end result is important, but not the most important thing. I find that if I attempt to write poetry, I have a problem, um, which I am not resolving. I'm not, not putting to bed. I think, right, write a poem. And it might take me two weeks. And the first week will just be taken up with me scribbling silly thoughts. But then a door will open and suddenly, yes, that's it. So I follow that and that makes it work. But it means that you've had to analyze and pracy and move things around um, before you've kind of scraped the barrel, so to speak. And that I think for me is, is a, is, is a godsend, it's fantastic. So I, I, I do really apologize to any poets in it. Do in not your... apologize. Um, thank you for taking this as a another challenge that you've accepted. And <laughs> well, that's right. No, thank you. And I was just thinking that process that you were sharing around poetry just before we hear it is, it just reminded me of the, the, mo the family motto of confer and triumph. Yes, thank you for that. that that's absolutely true. Right, here we go. A flight of fancy. To be outside in the morning, silently, breathlessly waiting for the bright golden rays of the sun to announce that day is dawning. Illuminating expansive views of hills and fields, trees and hedgerows, a sight to quicken any heart. But listen. Can you hear that new? Birds suddenly burst into sight, diving, circling and crying out. We're free, we're free, they call to me during their ecstasy of flight. If only I could have that skill to experience that freedom and trust in my ability, my human destiny to fill. All we need is someone special who respects and gives us self-esteem and confidence throughout our lives. And that's official. Oh, thank you so much, Carol. I love that. I'm going to try and get that written up. Um, definitely. It just seems to sum up our conversation absolutely perfectly. Um, thank uh, you're you. very kind. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we finish, Carol? 
no other than since I've met you and you are achieving something very special with very little help from society or government, you have decided that this is so important. You've gone out on a limb and you're making it work. And I both envy <laughs> and admire you for that. So thank you for being there and for opening so many people's eyes. Well, thank you, Carol, because I find you incredibly inspiring. And I'm looking forward to us doing some work together. And I'm sure you will find the energy and we will we will do things together. Definitely. Well, if you challenge me. <laughs> well, I know now. I know now that's all I need to do. <laughs> but I have so loved this conversation. And I'm, I know listeners will will have been really inspired by you, too. Your flying spirit is so obvious to us all and and it helps us fly and thank you so much for saying yes to this well bless you for that thank you carol goodbye bye so that's the end of our podcast for today i really hope you've enjoyed our conversation please do give us some feedback and please feel free to share this podcast with as many people as you can so that we can all learn how to help children fly. If you would like more information, visit our website at www.flyingschool.fun. Look forward to seeing you next time.